Hi folks, welcome along to another episode of my weekly podcast, Soundtracking. Although for the entire month of November, we have been giving you two episodes a week, which I hope you have been enjoying. Thank you so much for all your uh, response to Pablo Laran and Spencer and him talking about working with Johnny Greenwood for that film great response and I'm so glad that so many of you have seen the film as well. But our latest guests, guests as I say, on Soundtrack and are two friends who've come together to create something quite unlike, well, anything I've ever seen and quite hard to describe actually. Uh, the Nowhere Inn sees Carrie Brownstein and Annie Clark, aka St Vincent, play themselves in what appears to be a documentary about St Vincent's life as a musician. However, the film is entirely scripted and, in fact, turns into what one critic describes as a Lynchian nightmare smeared in lipstick. I love that description. Uh, Annie also scored the movie, which gives us an early opportunity to play one of our cues from the film. This is Texas Choir. <laughs> Danny, thank you for your time to talk about this extraordinary film that I, I thoroughly enjoyed, Nowhere In. I was talking with a, a film critic about it. I'm not a film critic, I'm a film fan. That's how I always come at things. So I'm always interested to have a conversation about things with that in mind rather than coming at it and telling people what they should think about things. But we had a great conversation because neither of us could really kind of describe this film. And that is such a refreshing thing to be able to talk about something that you can't really fully describe because it's encompasses quite a lot of different brilliant things. What did you set out to achieve with this this project? What was the start and what was the conversation with you both? When we first set out, it was going to be more of a concert film with interstitial sketches that may or may not have like formed a longer narrative arc. But I think at the time with Annie on her mass seduction tour, you know, that had a quality to it that was very heightened and, and maximalist. And it felt like there'd be too 
much of a disconnect between the stylized version of her show and sketch performance, which can be have a clumsiness, kind of a charming clumsiness to it that felt a little um, dissonant. So then we started thinking about a way to combine the sensibility of the film with her music, which which does have a sophistication to it. It has an ineffable quality, which is something that we really like about music and art in general, um, that you can't quite put your finger on it, that it asks more questions and it provides answers. So that's where we landed upon a hybridity of genre. Uh, but we also wanted to thread together something that did feel grounded and drawn from our lives, but that touched on on mystery. And yeah, so then we ended up with a very strange narrative film. But it, it, the process took a while for us to get there. I was it writing a script around this because I, I think a lot of people will watch it and they'll kind of just assume that it was shot with an idea of of what the narrative was but so much improv with it because I think it's very clever that that's kind of almost how it feels but I I hear that that's the that's not what it was at all it was a, you know it's a fully it's a scripted film I will say that a lot of the script and the kind of big ideas in the film address conversations that Carrie and I've been having for years on authenticity and the difference and the distinction between art and artists and artifice and, and all of that. So um, it did have sort of a long tail in that way. Um, a lot of the film to me is sort of like hiding in plain sight because they're really true, painful, autobiographical, real things that are in there just sort of right up next to something surreal or absurd you know things with our family or um, things with our relationship so it's it's kind of all it's kind of all in there um I know I have I do have to say that Carrie did the real heavy lifting on the script I you know I was a little I came in and did a little punch up but she's she's the writer of, of the two of us in that regard did it allow you though to kind of make observations of your world that you've you've lived and you're, you're part of as an artist. And Carly, the same for you, you know, in terms of, of, of you as an artist in the world that you live in and things that you wanted to bring into the narrative and bring to the surface to be part of the conversation and part of this, this discussion for these characters and for this story. I think um, to just jump in here really quickly, I think that one of my favourite things about Carrie is that she's an iconoclast and a contrarian and so smart and so incisive um, in terms of cultural critique. And I think one of the things that that I probably would not have done if it wasn't for her was to play a really unlikable person. To be in this day and age, it seems like there's so much, so much of a premium on um, on being likable or being authentic, or you don't you don't want to say the wrong thing and then all of a sudden you are you know cast into internet jail or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and the idea of just being unlikable um aggressively unlikable in service of a a bigger goal you know of course but that was really great and and liberating and and contrarian which is one of my favorite things about carrie well i mean i i think i mostly would echo what 
Annie's saying in, in that, you know, I think there's a little, a, a sense of confoundment, I think, in the, I guess, the premium that uh, is now placed on likability and relatability as a currency, you know, in our culture. And it seems difficult to lay bare the quotidian and the mundane, but, but also as an artist, maintain mystery. I think that Annie and I talk about that and, and we each struggle with that because it just feels like often it's the things that I don't know about art or artists that keep me coming back to it because then I, I can explore it from where I'm at and not from a place of certainty. And so I, I think uh, I was excited to explore the uncertainty of both art making and of fandom. It is that thing, it isn't it, of maintaining that that kind of that unknown. And I think that's was that something you were conscious about, Annie, with regards to the character that you were playing to a point within this film of making sure that you still allowed yourself the the opportunity to to hold on to privacy and elements of yourself that you didn't want to share. Um yeah, I mean again, there's there's a, a whole lot of like very true, very autobiographical, painful things that we that we do legitimately touch on in the film. But yeah, I mean, I would say that I don't have the answer. I mean, I don't have the answer to what, why I make what I make. Like, I don't have the answer to what the distinction between me and St. Vincent is. Like, I don't have the answer. I, you know, like all, I think artists kind of live with like one foot on the ground and the other, like in outer space. So I don't really know the distinctions between these things. And I think I'm not that interested in them in, in a certain way. Like I'm not interested in, in demystifying them because like, I think, I think like Carrie said, it's a very good point. We're, we're like culturally at a time where we're very into taxonomy, you know, we're very into like certainty and here is this specific label for this and this and this and this and this, and, this and, and here's the tree and you can, you know, we're, we're like approaching culture in a way that that feels like it's increasingly siloed it's increasingly um descriptive and prescriptive and the answer is i i don't know and i and i like the mystery and I, and i like the cracks and and i like the fluidity so and and also i think the, the another big part of this is that when we were kind of thinking at some point very very early on about making it a little bit more grounded and maybe some sketches, but, you know, maybe something that, that hit some of the tropes of these classic behind the music artist kind of films, documentaries, is that we realized that, okay, one, all of these things are commissioned by the artist, sometimes paid for by the artist, the artist has final cut. So anything that the artist doesn't want you to see you're not going to see. So the idea that it's like, wow, this is a really a glimpse behind, it's manicured. It is manufactured. And I think as a, as, a, as a sort of layman viewer for a long time, it didn't occur to me that documentary was like, that there was anything fabricated about a documentary. I was just like, oh, this is, this is truth. But of course it's not. It's selected moments hoping to illustrate certain beats and points that get to a, a broader arc. So we're like, well, essentially that would be propaganda. 
Mm. You know, the the uh, the opposite <laughs> of the film. <laughs> you know, the opposite of the film we made would would be for me to you know, purport to be really normal, which I, you know, in lots of ways I am. And, you know, life can be as tedious and kind of like, as Carrie said, quotidian. So it would be like this ultimate manipulation in making people like me. And that just seems so shitty. It just seems shitty. I like it's what well, you were saying about the whole thing about, you know, putting things in, in, in boxes and never having to label it. That's what I think is so brilliant about the film is that it's, you can't describe it in a word. You know, it's not a, it's not a documentary. It's not a, and I think that that's so healthy. I've got two boys and they don't think of music in genre. They react to things. They have an emotional connection or reaction to something. And I find that so healthy. And I wish that that could be, encouraged more in terms of experiencing rather than feeling that everything needs a label. And I wondered kind of going into this as well, because I, I, I watched a couple of chats that you guys had and you said that there was, you could have made 40 different films from kind of what you shot, from what then went into the edit. And so I was interested in terms of, and you were talking about that idea of, of kind of the, the artist having control and things like that. And, you know, this being both of your film and given that over to Bill in a way, and then obviously with your with Ali, your editor, and, and talking a little bit about that relationship as to when you finished filming and it starts to that point where the film is taken on a different life and it's becoming something that will end up like a film. What was that journey like? How much involvement did you have? And, and talk through that journey of, of what we ended up watching and enjoying. I mean, to be honest, because it was a, a scripted film, I mean, obviously in the editorial process, you find things that didn't work in terms of pacing or, you know, there's redundancies or just things that didn't come together during production. But for the most part, it wasn't something where we completely, you know, reconnoitered the entire film. We, we had screenings. We, it was that part of the process, I think, was more traditional. You know, we, we had friends and family screenings. We got notes from people on what, you know, they, they didn't quite get or what wasn't you know, what was tedious or got too slow or did they want more music? But for the most part, you know, we kind of stuck with the story and um, it was edited pretty similarly to how it was written. Uh, I, you know, Ali Greer is a great editor and I think, you know, she, she brought a lot to it and Bill Benz, our director, you know, oversaw the whole, whole process. But, you know, we didn't do anything where we took all the footage and jumbled it up, but it, it did allow us some opportunity. There were some things that we reshot, some scenes, sorry, not reshoots, but additional scenes that we put in. I think the biggest <clears throat> moment of, you know, the sort of light bulb moment was just realizing we were missing some connective tissue uh, in, in the friendship arc. And so we, we went back and, and, and filmed some subsequent things. So that, that was probably the thing that changed the most between principal production and edit, editing. You mentioned music as well. And obviously we have the film started off, as you said earlier, that it originally might was going to be a, a kind of concert film with, with sort of sketches sort of thing in between. But but we, we still get that that those brilliant elements of, of of watching you on stage at times, Annie. But then also you wrote the score for the film as well. And I was really interested to talk to you about that process and and where you came from in terms of what you felt the film needed with regards to accompanying music that wasn't your you know, performance of St. Vincent? Well, the film, the scoring of the film was an adventure for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not very patient in general as a person. And then I'm not very good at order of operations. So 
the sort of funniest side is that I started scoring the film before we had a final cut. So I, <laughs> I like scored and rescored certain scenes gazillions of times just because I was too excited to start it that I you know, to to wait for a final cut. So that was that's kind of my bad on the, <laughs> on the front end. I mean, honestly, Bill is such a musical director. Like he's, he has a great, great, great sense of music and also a great way of editing sound and and songs. So that was really helpful. I trusted his ear on that. And then honestly, I just kind of did whatever. (laughs) I mean, the same way that, I mean, the same way that the, that the film goes through a lot of, genre nods i mean i didn't have any specific palette or you know color palette i was working with i just kind of threw whatever at it which i think is what it is i don't and bill kind of let me do whatever with just a few notes here or there so you know it wasn't i think the typical process which is that the person scoring the film has very little power and then gets (laughs) notes from 70 people and then ends up with a a shadow of what they originally intended. It's great because the, the the score's got its kind of own journey, I think, as well, which is great because it doesn't feel like it's it's under it's kind of one sort of sonic palette in a way. And it was interesting listening to I watched you the three of you with Bill do a, a chat at a festival, I think it was, and and he referenced the man who as as a kind of reference point, the Nick Rogue film, and and weirdly the kind of John Phillips and and uh, uh, Yamashita kind of score for that as well. There's I feel like that's it's kind of got a a nod to that in a way. And I hope you take that as a compliment. I didn't mean it as a kind of, um, you know, in terms of no, how no, no. facilitates. I will totally take that as a compliment. Um, I didn't really reference any other scores in the making of it. I really just kind of winged it. So. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. You winged I mean, it and you come up with that. Great. Amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs>
I do have to say that I think the the most fun musical part of of the entire experience was getting to write the theme song with Carrie. We wrote mm-hmm. that in like a day. Wow. Again, just throwing it out there. It's great. What was yeah. the, what did you, did you, did you kind of sit down and go and go and we're going to write a theme tune today? Uh, how did yeah. it, well, great. <laughs> well, we did because we had to, because we, um, part of the, part of the arc of the film is obviously like Harry saying, why don't we make a theme song? And so we had to obviously have written the theme song beforehand to show us kind of <laughs> writing the theme song in the film. Driver, do you mind? I really love about the film as well is how uncomfortable you feel sometimes as a viewer. I really like feeling uncomfortable with things in terms of, for me, it's a great, it's great writing because not, you know, you can't, not a lot of people can kind of create that, that sort of uncomfortableness that's on screen to come out and make you feel as an audience member. Is that easy to write, Carrie? How do you write uncomfortableness? (laughs) It's very easy. It's so easy. I mean, I think both Annie and I, uh, in our work, like to explore uh, modes of discomfort and unease uh, and tension. I I think that, you know, that's where you find absurdity, uh, comedy. uh, That's what horror is often, you know, is, is just that line between something that sort of appears benign or kind of wears the cloak of normalcy, but turns out to be disfigured in terms of, you know, in, in a figurative sense. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're always toying with, with modes of unease. And um, yeah, I, I like writing in that, in that way. Coziness is not something that either of us <laughs> spend a lot of time in artistically. No, Carrie, I, I, you're great at cozy. I love your song. That's like, Oh, oh, my feelings, my feelings are so sad. Well, That's we're my both favorite working of your songs. On our, we're both working on our coffeehouse uh, album. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, uh, just a, warm, a warm mug of tea. Yep. <laughs> this is how you should feel. I just, I want any, the best review you can have is that you made someone feel good. 
you know, that they're feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, you know, with the live performances, did you shoot an entire, you know, the the whole whole concert or did you know in advance kind of how, what tracks you were going to feature from the set in the film as well? Um, No, we filmed an entire concert at the Palladium in LA. And um, I think it just came down to the, edit a little bit and and the story as to which songs we we put where what energy we needed at what what times in the story were there any music film documentary type things that were reference points both in terms of stuff you definitely didn't want to do as well as things that you because I was trying to think of there's a really great new doc out called polystyrene I'm a cliche that's just come out that I think is kind of great but it's quite a traditional kind of format in terms of you know, it's a retrospective look at, at a scene in a person. And 20,000 Days on Earth in a Cave Dock, which Jane um, Pollard and Ian Forsyth made a few years ago, for me, I think is one of the, my favourite music docs, if that's how you want to call it, or narratives of the last five years, because it d- stepped outside of the expected and that format that's expected. But I wondered if there was any that you referenced or wanted to, compl- you know, not do it that way sort of thing either. I feel like it was a combination. There were definitely what we what we didn't want was the kind of uh, music documentary that to which Annie's already referred, which is, you know, just this kind of artificially laid bare, you know, narrative that portends to be truth, but is, you know, highly curated and manipulative, manipulated. Manipulative is fair, too. Manipulative is fair. Yeah, for sure. But you know, in terms of great music documentaries, of course, I mean, you know, uh, The Last Waltz, I watched so many times. I, I love um, the new Todd Haynes Velvet Underground documentary, which obviously we hadn't hadn't seen when we made this. But but I think more so than straight up music documentaries, we were looking at films that you utilized music in an interesting way or utilized music performers, you know, whether that was, you know, performance with Mick Jagger, The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie or the film Privilege, which is that Peter Watkins film, you know, with that really interesting messianic character, Stephen Shorter, uh, uh, Phantom of the Paradise, which is that really bizarre film, um, you know, that has music kind of threaded through it or um, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, you know, I just think we were excited about films that had music as kind of the, the guiding principle and, and the ways that, you know, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, that music is, is kind of hard to pinpoint. It's kind of a 360 degree experience. And so, yeah, we were more interested in that than just telling like a linear story about music. And, and I think that's how it has that kaleidoscopic effect. Yeah, I think we, we definitely went back and, and rewatched things like Truth or Dare, which I'm not a huge fan of the word problematic, but I would say that I think everyone, I think um, there, there are aspects of that film that I think would, would not fly in 2021. <laughs> yeah, again, I, you know, the wanting to stay away from the narrative of I'm, of I'm just a normal girl, but I also happen to be the biggest pop star on earth thing was, yeah. uh, it was where we were trying to not, not go exactly. We've run out of time and I've, it's been an absolute treat getting to chat to you both about it. And huge congratulations on, on the film. It just is really, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air to, to, to see something that's got its, its own kind of existence as well. So thank you so much, Kari. Thank you, Arnie. It's great to chat to you. And I, I look forward to see what you guys are going to work on together next. All right. Well, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 
Bye. Bye, everyone. From St Vincent's score to the Nowhere End, that's Tour Bus rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Annie Clark and Carrie Brownstein. My huge thanks to Annie and Carrie for taking the time to talk to me. The Nowhere End is available to watch. Well, it's kind of all over the place at the minute. There are some viewings around the country in cinemas. That's the UK. Sorry if you're listening outside the UK. I'm not quite sure on its theatrical release outside the UK. It has been part of an on-tour dock and roll festival. Uh, Loads of screenings going on around the UK. So just look for Nowhere End. And then from the 13th of December, so next month, it is going to be available digitally through its video on demand release. So that means that you can uh, probably get it on various platforms. Meanwhile, the score is released via Loma Vista Recordings. Head to edithbowman.com to subscribe to the podcast and listen to all of our previous episodes. And you can also find links to Spotify playlists for every single show so you can hear the music we play in its entirety. We are slightly tied to how much music we can play in the podcast, so we only play little snippets, but we appreciate that you might want to hear songs in their entirety. Uh, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word amongst your pals if you like it. It really does help us a lot. Next up, none other than Lin-Manuel Miranda, who joins me to discuss all manner of things, including his directorial debut, Tick Tick Boom, his latest Disney creation, Encanta. And of course, of course, I talked to him about Moana. You're welcome. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.